Hey everybody, I'm Jason, your host of Let Freedom Reign, an equine industry leading podcast that talks to folks from all different walks of life who share their testimony of adversities and perseverance and how the horse has helped them through their journey. Stay tuned. We're going to have a great time. Come along for the ride. Welcome everybody to another week here at Let Freedom Reign podcast. This is the first episode of a two-part series with Josh Sly from True Saddlery. Throughout this episode, you will gain a greater understanding of saddle fit and what goes into the saddle making process as related to Truth Saddlery. And Josh shares one heck of a story about some of the greatest men in pro rodeo that poured into Josh and changed the direction of his life for the better. I personally have ridden True Saddles for years now and can say they're an incredible product, probably one of the best kept secrets in the Western industry. Should you have any questions about their products, do not hesitate to reach out to me via social media. I'd be happy to answer any and all questions I can for you listeners. For more information, you can find them on social media under Truth Saddlery or visit truthcustomsaddlery.com. Now, should you find the content of this episode valuable, please share it with a friend. Additionally, your five-star ratings and reviews on the podcast platform of your choice mean the world to us. You can find us on both Facebook and Instagram under Let Freedom Reign Podcast. We hate to keep you all waiting any longer. Here is our conversation with Josh Sly. Yeah. The uh, the biggest new thing around truth right now is me. <laughs> they call, they called me, uh, shoot, it was right after the corona stuff set in and I was home from work. My daughter didn't have daycare. And Mike and I, for years, I, I call Mike and talk to him uh, about once a month, if not, if not more, just about what's going on in truth and what's going on in the world. Yeah. And... I've always told him, man, I, that's part of what you do is what I love being around Western sports. Mm-hmm. And so, and I've always told him, Hey, anything you need from me, anything you need. And so he called me, he must've called me in about the end of April, third week of April, maybe the first week of May I was working at uh, my job. And he said, uh, man, what are you, what are you doing right now? I said, not really doing much. He said, everything's kind of shut down. I've been home with my kids. And he said, well, we, uh, we really need somebody in sales. And he said, it just came to me. It came to my mind that I should ask you and see if that is something that you'd be interested in. And I was like, you dang right. I'd be interested in that. Tell me what I can do to help you. You know, that's definitely a position that's uh, definitely been needed, you know, with truth and in the sales side of things and running it and managing it. Cause in the many conversations that I've had with Mike and not only using the product now for a while, but understanding their passion, their fire for it, you know, the the correct saddle fit, the quality saddle, the affordable saddle. It's just that is it. We gotta we gotta educate folks as to what is available and what some of these truths, no pun intended, are with saddle fit and and how you can better serve your horse and better serve your performance or better serve your profession with a, a properly fit piece of equipment. Oh, that's no doubt. When I first started in the pro rodeo stuff, I was like anybody else. I'm, I had roped a little bit, and I'd been around, and I'd ranched, and I thought I knew. I thought I knew. <laughs> Let's go with that. Uh, I rode a 16-inch ranch saddle that was a well-built ranch saddle and a well, well-made name brand saddle, and I thought, man, when I started being around pro rodeo guys, I was like, these guys are riding 14s and 14 and a halves, and they're talking about, you know, riggins and how things fit and i'm like what am i doing wrong or what did i not learn <laughs> yeah because i'm that guy right there is riding a 14 and a half inch seat and he's my size yeah and so 
come to find out that even just that, even knowing the right, the proper seat size for you to ride in a performance based saddle helps with how you, how you ride your horse, how you contact your horse, how you signal your horse. And at the end of the day, it's a, you know, team roping is, is my passion. So in, that's what I talk about the most. At the end of the day, team roping is a game of seconds and split seconds and being properly fit to your horse and to your saddle, your equipment makes the difference in the 10th of a second that it takes to win or lose sometimes. Yeah. It's funny. I had a similar approach or a similar start with truth at the time. Uh, I was doing a little roping myself and just looking at how horses are bred in the performance horse world and what we're asking of these horses. And, you know, they're closer to far closer to an athlete than they are any other tool or function in the horse world. And uh, having a little bit of background in sports, um, I got to thinking, like, how do we in in all these different events where, I mean, hundreds and thousands of a second separate a paycheck and going home empty handed, how do we better serve the function of this animal? How do we get out of this horse's way? How do we serve the same purpose that we need for any given discipline? And uh, really started to try to design a saddle where you just trim all the fat, right? If it doesn't serve a purpose or a function, uh, can we get rid of it and still put together a quality product? And uh, I had done... I'd done some research with a with a local vet here and as far as, you know, sizes and shapes and construction and all the anatomy that goes along with, with a horse's top line and then started inquiring around to a lot of these saddle builders and uh, Truth gave me a call saying, hey, we found out about this project you're working on and we'd like to take a chance on it. And I told him like, you guys got to understand, like this is completely experimental. Like we could put all this time and effort into this and this thing goes belly up, but um, I think we might be onto something and I mean, months and months of conversation and construct on that saddle. And here we are. And basically, I stripped a a, a typical ranch saddle down to uh, the minimal amount of leather, really focused on good close contact, uh, really focused on that saddle, giving the horse its greatest ability at flexion and extension in all of its quarters. And uh, I, I love the saddle. A lot of people that jump in it and ride it think it's a... Uh, uh, something that's an anomaly and I tell them, no, 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 we just strip this down to, to form and function. And, and that's basically all you need in a saddle to serve a purpose. And it's light. So it's easy to throw. Um, it's less weight that that horse has got to carry throughout the day and, and serves a better purpose for that horse's function. That, uh, light, man, that, that word keeps coming back and keeps coming back and keeps coming back. And, and, uh, and I'll tell you what, even in the barrel horse world is becoming like the NASCAR yeah. of performance horses. Yeah. And that's something that truth, uh, you did ask what was new and that's something that we're going to do. That's new. I have, uh, Mike give me a guy's name a couple of weeks ago and said, Hey, call this guy and let's get some trees ordered and let's build some saddles. And this man, uh, claims that his trees are, you know, lighter than your normal stock tree in the market mm-hmm. um, and that they're just as strong and that we can build a, a lighter product that still serves the function of what we're trying to do. So we're actually going to build, I've got a tree ordered for a barrel saddle for my wife and then we're going to build a team roper or two team ropers. And then we're actually going to build a, I call, I told them let's call it the, the ladies roper, but they thought maybe if we called it the ladies roper, we might be, closing ourselves out of 
the market and, bit of market, and some yeah. sales. And so we're just going to call it an ultralight team roper, which it's going to be geared towards the breakaway and the mm-hmm. women. Mm-hmm. You know, it's going to be a saddle that I hope hits under 20 pounds, you yeah. know, as far as that, but still stout enough to take the team rope and, you know, 20 or 30 runs and then take the breakaway, you know, the jerk and the breakaway. And so we're those trees are probably four to six weeks out and then we're going to build them. And I actually had a lady call the same day that, I ordered the trees and was talking to me about that. And I said, well, as a matter of fact, I've just ordered a tree that is going to become, you know, a, a ladies team roper or a ultralight team roper or breakaway saddle. And she said, well, put me on the list for that. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll build the first one for you. How about that? And isn't it funny and, when you start to serve that purpose, right? How the product sells itself. You know, when you really start to to focus on qualifying those needs of a client, man, there's no... There's no sales pitch that needs to go along with it. Oh no! When you just mention it, when you when you touch on something that people have already been thinking about, they're like, "Yeah, I'm in. Let's yeah. do it." Yeah, absolutely. And, and it doesn't take long before. And you know, the funny thing is, is just the other day, it seems to me like another saddle company put an ad out that they they said this is the 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 new thing in breakaway and innovation in breakaway roping because that that market is starting to become something that. Nobody has marketed to because it was just kind of a thing. Yeah, you know, yeah. breakaway ropers were an, a byproduct of tie down roping and and women in roping. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden you got breakaway roping at the American. You've yeah. got breakaway roping at Cheyenne and breakaway roping at what three or four of the pro rodeos that happened this year over the Fourth of July run. And so all of a sudden it's a market, and nobody's marketed it to it. Yeah. And and so people are going to, and that's what, when they sent me that ad and they said, so-and-so, this, this saddle company put out their, their breakaway roper. I said, well, just rushing to get something to market so you can try to get, you know, the first few the corner sales on it, yeah. is, uh, is not a good plan. I said, let's build a quality breakaway saddle and, and let's market it as what it's going to be. And let's take our time and get it right the first time, because that particular company came out a few years ago and rushed to market with some ultra wide barrel saddles. And now those saddles are out there in the market and you, there's no home for them. Yeah. The, the gullet widths are eight and a half and nine inch gullet widths. And all of a sudden you can't, you can't give them away. Yeah, I was going to say you got a bunch of barrel racers underneath their horses. And so that same company is building, they, I mean, it looked, the, just what I saw of the ad, the saddle didn't look like they had put a lot of time into the design or into making it look like something that you'd want. But they rushed and said, let's build one real quick and get it ready so we can sell a bunch of these, you know. And maybe yeah. that was their goal. Maybe they want to sell a bunch right off the bat and just get them out there. But I just, it's not one of those that's going to you're you're not going to hold your value in the market with yeah. that saddle, I don't yeah. think. Yeah. It's tough, right? So much of this, and, and when I got my start, I fell victim to it, right? Where you just kind of take a man's word on stuff without doing a, your own homework or, or gaining your own education. And uh, that's one of the tough parts about this Western industry, right? Is that there's so many perceived experts when when you really start getting down to brass tacks. And I will never claim to be an expert. I think there's too much in this industry, in this Western world to know, to truly be, be an expert in it, um, in my capacity. But 
when you really start answering some of those tough questions on correct fit and how the horse works from a, a biomechanic standpoint, we talk about, which is a big deal in, in, in my opinion is longevity, right? Is this product going to hold, um, or is this just something that I'm going to get six months of function out of and then it's all going to fall apart, right? Which is not advantageous in any, uh, market. It's, it's tough, right? How do we, how do we educate the masses? And that's kind of why I wanted to have this conversation with True Saddlery and all the work that uh, Truth has done for me and and my horse and, and saddles and education and things of that sort. Uh, I just felt compelled to share some of it because I have found that Truth, and this is my opinion, and, and people are going to agree or disagree and they're entitled to all of that. But in my opinion, Truth takes that extra level of care in understanding you as a consumer, you as a client, what your horse needs. Uh, they offer a lot of products that can can give you insurance and guarantee that you are going to get a, a good quality saddle fit. And I've seen so many people in my journey helping with saddle fit that buy a saddle, sell a saddle, buy a saddle, sell a saddle. I mean, this goes on for thousands of dollars and months and months and months, and they never end up with a good fit when... You can make some small investments early on and and know that you're going to get a good quality saddle that's going to fit your horse and serve its purpose. I'm just touching on that. Even speaking of that, that fit kit that we sell, we sell that fit kit for $199. And, and I'm going to be honest with you, when before I was a salesman for Truth, before I was as involved with Truth, as I am now, I told my wife, I'm like, I'm not certain about this fit kit. It seems like, it seems like something that you would market to people that aren't educated, that people that don't really know what's going on in the, in the saddle world, because I had learned, I had gained education from being around people and I had learned how it should fit my horse and how, but now the more people that I talk to that are trying to buy saddles, the more people that call and ask about, well, what should I do about this? I find myself saying, this is the best possible product yes. that I can on the market that is going to help. If nothing else, I yeah. tell them it's $200 yeah. of insurance for peace of mind yeah. that you have taken every step possible to give your horse and you the most comfortable fit because it's not always about the best fit for your horse and you're just going to sacrifice. But I mean, let's let's get as comfortable for your horse as we can and then build a, a saddle on top of that that works for you and, and, and we'll go from there. And I love it. I love the product. And I finally, they sent me one. And my wife had gotten a new horse and I said, let's put this fit kit. I had never done a fit kit. I had mm-hmm. sold a few fit kits. I hadn't mm-hmm. even ever been around one. And so it sat in my living room for probably three weeks and I finally did it. One day it was raining I said, I'm going to do this fit kit on that new horse just because I'm selling these fit kits to people and I've never experienced the process. And so I called Mike and Angel and I said, hey, look, I'm about to go Facebook Live and do this fit kit and show, you know, our consumers what that process entails. And they're like, have you ever done one? I said, no, I haven't. But neither has any of the customers that ever bought one. Exactly. And so my, I could hear Angel kind of laughing in the background when Mike was saying, well, if you think you're confident enough to do it, go right ahead. And <laughs> Angel was snickering in the background. And so I said, well, I'm going to do it at about five o'clock here in 45 minutes. I'm just going to fit kit it up and put it on there live. And if I make a mistake, so be it. Everybody that gets them is in the same boat I'm mm-hmm. in. They've never done it. Mm-hmm. And so I did a probably about a 20 minute deal and I had that fit kit and I 
fit my wife's horse. And after I got done with that, I thought, man, that was an easy process. Uh, just transferring it from the oven to the barn, which I understand some people don't have an oven right there by their barn or whatever. But yeah, yeah. The process was simple. And now I know that when I send that into truth and they put a tree on there, they're going to look at the way that horse's back is shaped, you know, where where the saddle sits, where the bars are going to make contact, is the gullet width right? And they're going to make all of those determinations, which within reason we can pad to to the fine fit that we are after. Mm-hmm. And so, and that's what I tell everybody. I said, the fit kit's not going to guarantee that a standard is going to fit your horse precisely, but it's going to get a standard close enough to your horse that a three-quarter inch or a seven-eighths or a one-inch pad of your desire is going to make that saddle have a real comfortable fit that your horse is going to be able to perform. They're going to work a day's worth of work on the ranch or several hours in the rope and pin or the barrel racing. They're going to be fine. And, and that's all we're really after. I mean, it's just like, it's like sneakers or cleats that we wear for, for football or baseball or basketball. I mean, they're not the type of shoes that you put on to go traipsing through the mall in the airport, but they're good for what they're for, for that period of time. And then you take them off. Well, that's what I, I always explain to folks, the the equivalent of, I, I use the analogy of football, right? I mean, there's a reason a quarterback's pads are built the way they're built, or a defensive lineman, or a safety, or a kicker, right? I mean, there's a function to it. So are we really going to take an offensive lineman's pads and put them on a quarterback, or put them on a running back, or something along those lines, right? I mean, the the confidence that you get out of using a fit kit, it gets us way closer in the ballpark to make some of those finite adjustments when you're when you're building that saddle and and I actually have two fit kits here at the house uh one is of my horse's top line and then I have another uh fit kit from another horse um on paper it's the same exact horse they're 15 2 they're 1200 pound horses they're both quarter horses right they're built for uh the roping world and if you were to just give that basic information right to anybody selling a saddle they're going to tell you oh yeah this saddle fits and when you put those two top lines down side by side and then place a tree on top of both of those top lines you see that just because a horse stands the same height or has the same weight or is built for the same discipline or maybe even out of the same bloodlines uh, there could be vast differences in those top lines which obviously transfers to saddle fit and function no doubt I've, and and there's other things that affect that too. And I, I had to tell a customer not too long ago that we did a fit kit and then it came back as, Hey, we need to build a custom tree for your horse because a standard fit is not going to put us where we think that horse needs to be for comfort. So we need to build it. And so the customer came back and said, well, what's the deal? And she asked me the question two or three times and she was. I don't know if she was looking for a specific answer or if she had something in her mind that was going to be the answer, but I finally told her, I said, there are so many things that can affect your horse and how that saddle fits and how their top line is. And, how, and I said two things that right off the top of my head that are simple and easy that nobody can think about is one, how's that horse shod? And two, what's the weight on that horse? What is their their body mass index i mean are they overweight are they underweight are they just right i mean in the world of saddle fit 50 pounds on a horse can change things drastically and people don't seem to understand that yeah which is no fault to them right because that education has not been commonly available 
No, no, it's not. And that's just it. And then, then of course, it's as horse owners, you know, the vast majority of horse owners are not professional athletes or even amateur athletes in the horse world. And so people that want a proper fit are most likely weekenders, people that really take good care of their horses and they're, they take pride in the fact that they look out there and their horse looks full mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. is well fed and they're, you know, their horse has free choice hay and a pasture to graze in and they're getting 14 pounds of super sweet feed twice a day and those types of things. And I mean, we can get to a whole different deal there, but <laughs> what they don't understand is two inches of fat rolling across their horse's back and muscles is going to affect the fit of that saddle. And then if a horse in the, in the summertime, most horses kind of back off their feet and they trim down just a little bit, and, you know, they, they do a little bit less, you know, eating and a little bit more standing around and so then in the summertime they're gonna experience hay a little bit different you know and sweat patterns are huge yeah yeah people see a a dry spot a dry spot is an end-all be-all for the for the uneducated saddle uh fit or rider because they they instantly think a dry spot is bad which i'm not saying that it's not bad but it's not always like, oh my gosh, what's going on here? I mean, a dry spot could come from several things, not just a improper fit. That saddle's not going to fit your horse eight months out of the year. And then, you know, in mid-August when they've sucked down 50 or 60 pounds. Work, yeah. yeah, it's not going to work now. And you got to, you know, you're out there loafing them around and all of a sudden you pull it off. You got a dry spot. You're like, oh my gosh, I got to get a new $4,000 saddle. Yeah, I was going to say, it's a good sales tactic, right? You got your winter saddle, your summer saddle, your spring saddle. Yeah, summer um, but saddles. But it's not true. <laughs> I like that statement, summer saddle. Summer saddles and summer not, you know. <laughs> Ain't that the but truth. It's just been really, and it's opened my eyes too because I came to this deal to just in just in the aspect of I like speaking to Western sports and I like selling, I love saddles. Yeah. And I didn't yeah. realize how much I loved saddles until I built my own saddle. Yeah, it's an amazing process. And, oh my gosh. and it And it can be a really fun process. Like I've got a saddle right now that we're, in the process of putting the order in i've turned in the order and we're about to get going on it that's a legacy saddle and the lady called me and the the worst thing the worst thing that i can ask anybody is what's our budget yeah what you know what the consumer the american consumer is driven by price and by cost and so uh, most of the time i'm going to say 80 percent of the people that call me that want to buy a saddle are i want the best i can get for as least amount of money as I can spend. Mm-hmm. Well, this particular lady, when I said, what's our budget? She said, I don't have a budget. I want what I want. I Perfect. said, good enough. Perfect. I can design the saddle that, that you want. I can build, and, and this is what I told her. I said, I can build your dream. Now, it's going to take time and it's going to take money, but I can build a saddle to your specifications and that's going to fit your horse, but it's going to look like a piece of artwork when we're done with it. And I can build your dream if you give me time and money. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that for a fact with true salary because I went through the process my own self. And so this lady's retired Air Force 20 years. She has four kids and she's currently working in, in some form of ranching. And she grew up in Mississippi. Her kids were born in uh, 
South Carolina, North Carolina, Arizona, and one in Guam. Oh, and she has taken it to the next level of design. Like I showed her what we did with my saddle when we designed it. And I said, if you can think it, if you can think it, I think we can do it. Yeah. And, and so a few times at the office, they're like, uh, be careful. <laughs> I'm like, no, I said, I know what Let's you can do out. because you did it for me. Yeah. So, yeah. so this lady wants a flag on her saddle that looks like it's tattered and worn and waving in the wind. She wants flowers from the States where her kids were born, tooled into it. She wants several Bible verses on there, which I mean, let, that opens up a whole nother thing of what true saddle is. I mean, true salary is not just a custom salary place, but it's a mission front. It's yeah. a place yeah. for us to go out in the world and to share the gospel. And, and that's another thing about these saddles and what we try to stand for. But I mean, this lady has gone off the rafters and I, t- every time she says, can we do this? I'm like, yeah, no problem. Well, I've got to do like, I've got to do a little checking, but, I think we can get it done. And, and so we designed we designed her a saddle around a tree that's going to comfortably fit her horse, but the saddle's going to end up looking like it should probably sit in her trophy room for the rest of its life. I'll tell you, I had that same feeling when my saddle got delivered. I was so stoked when that box showed up and I break that thing open and I pulled it out. And I'm like, man, I don't know if I could put this on a horse. <laughs> I think this might just need to go in a stand in the corner in the office. Like, it's a, it truly is a piece of art. And, and, and you talked about a level of support that, that I had not seen elsewhere in the market. You know, a lot of people tell you, basically, these are our saddles. These are our designs. These are the patterns. You pick what you, you know, what we offer and that's what you get. And with truth, there is that desire for innovation, right? Where, ah, man, well, we never really heard of this before. Okay, well, let's take a chance. Let's see if we can design it. Let's see if we can come up with it. Let's see if we can draw it. And uh, most things, uh, in my experience with truth, have become a reality. Oh, no doubt. It happened for me personally. When I stopped in there in October of 2016, and I knew I wanted to buy a Jake Barnes team roper, and I knew, and in and, and my, my opinion, where I was at in my life, I thought, I may only have one opportunity in my life to design a saddle. And if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. Everything that I ever wanted in this saddle is going to be on. I'm putting it all my hopes and dreams in the hands of truth, and I'm going to have them build this saddle for me. And so, I mean, it was months of back and forth calls and and penciling stuff out on paper and sending it to me and me saying, that's perfect, or, or me calling and saying, hey, what about this? Can we do this? And I got a saddle, and the thing that gets me the most is, through the sales process, what I do when I'm trying to sell a saddle to somebody or the easiest thing for me to do is to send them a link to our gallery and say, hey, text me a picture of any saddle that you like, any saddle that you love. If you love this part of this one, and that, send it to me. And we can take this saddle and that saddle and this saddle and that saddle and put them all together into one saddle and make your saddle. Yeah. And probably I've been selling saddles for truth for 45 days and, and no less than a dozen times has somebody sent me a picture of my personal saddle that they pulled off our Facebook, our Instagram or our website and said, can you build me a saddle like this? And it all, I'm always taken aback. First of all, I always take a step back and just truly appreciate that what they did for me speaks to other people. Yeah. it's a- And then, and then I tell them, I can't build you that saddle because I know the story of that saddle, 
but I can build you one that looks dang sure close to it. <laughs> yeah, let's tell your story, you know, and, and I think that's a great caveat. I want to get into your saddle and its construction in detail here in a little bit, but let's go through a little bit of your history because your history and your upbringing and your experiences in the rodeo world will definitely lay context and foundation to how your saddle build came to be. So let's start with the early years, you know, and kind of how you got your start in in the Western world. And we'll work all the way through the saddle construction, right, of 2016. That story in itself, uh, I thought at one time I would write a book to tell this story because it really does have some interesting stuff. It seems to me like it was sometime in April of 2012. I know for a fact it was April of 2012. I was on Facebook, and Jade Corkiel had put on Facebook that he needed a driver. And knowing what I know now is he needed a driver, somebody to drive his horses to California and haul them around, take care of them. Uh, just for that California run, which is about three weeks there, you know, from mm-hmm. the 1st of April until you come back to Guyman in May. And uh, and so I had messaged Jade on Facebook and said, man, I'll drive for you. And I was, so that was 12. So I would have been 32 years old. Mm-hmm. Had, you know, two kids and I was working as a plumber in Manhattan, Kansas. And so I had messaged him and said, I'll drive for you. So it seems like it's something that I would like to do. And just cause I, I couldn't afford to pay for schooling. So I thought what better way to be around the best guys in the industry than to work for them and just watch and learn. And so Jade messaged me back and said, what is it going to cost? And I said, man, as long as I got food to eat and it doesn't cost me anything, I'll do it for nothing. He said, so you don't need to be paid. You just need, you know, your meals and your travel. I said, yeah, I'll do it for that. Well, I never heard anything back from him. And we'll get back around to that part of the story. <laughs> but that in the same week, I was signed up to go to a roping school in, in uh, Norton, Kansas. And Jake Barnes was going to be the instructor. And I had saved my money. So I could go to this roping school. It was 400 and some dollars. And I thought, man, I'm going to go to a Jake Barnes roping school. And so I called Jake Barnes to put my name down at the school. And he put his number on on the, the deal. And, I mean, when I called, Jake Barnes, the seven-time world champion, answered the <laughs> phone. And I was like, I, I was a, I'm a fan of team roping. And Jake Barnes, I mean, Jake and Clay are the, the two greatest names yeah. in the in the history of team roping. And I got Jake Barnes on the phone. And so I'm talking to him about going to this school. And I'm like, hey, Jake, if you wouldn't mind, could I ask you a question? He's like, yeah, ask away. I said, what is it like working for you rodeo guys out there when you're rodeoing and driving and taking care of horses? And I can remember to this day, the first statement that Jake Barnes said to me is, to tell you the truth, it's a thankless job. He said, you do all of the work and you get none of the credit. So I was like, I'm in. Thankless, I'm in. I'm your guy. And so I talked to him. I asked him a bunch of questions for about 20 minutes that day. And by the time we got done at the end of that conversation, Jake said, hey, if things don't work out with Jake Corkill, he said, I'd be interested in having you come and help me for the summer. He said, I'm going to rope. I'm in a rodeo with Jet Johnson. We're going to enter. And he said, I'd sure be interested in having you come help me. And I was blown away. I was starstruck one and blown away. I mean, I hung the phone up. Opportunities show up sometimes. Oh my gosh. So I hung the phone up and I called my wife and I said, 
the seven-time world champion Jake Barnes just asked me to spend the summer with him. There's no way I can't do this, you know. And I'm 32 <laughs> years old, and I'm like, it's like I'm like a 15. Kid. <laughs> oh my goodness, I was so. And and I had bought a horse from a man in Scottsdale, Arizona, the year before, and he lived just two miles from Jake. And and I went back and visited that man, and I said, I called Jake. I said, Hey, I'm coming to Scottsdale in two weeks. I'm going to visit this man that I bought this horse from. He lives right down the road from me. I said, I'll come over and talk to you about this summer deal. I spent a whole day with Jake Barnes, just hanging out, just talking. And Jake told me at the beginning of that, he said, Hey ask any question you want to ask. And, you know, we need to talk about, you know, everything that you can think of, because if you don't have a good conversation up front, if something comes up later, you'll have problems. Yeah. It's going to be a hard summer. Yeah. And so I ended up in, in May of 2012 flying to, uh, Phoenix, Arizona and getting in the truck with Jake Barnes and just, I'm going to drive and take care of horses and I've never done it. I've been a, you know, I've been a cowboy on the ranch and I've roped and this and that, but I was literally a plumber at a plumbing company, equipment operator, as a matter of fact. And so here we are, I'm with Jake Barnes and just in shock. And and I still have the first picture I took of Jake Barnes to this day in my phone. It was him taking a nap while I was driving <laughs> us home from the first Sounds rodeo. Like you're doing your job. And, and, people would ask me, you know, what's it like traveling with Jake Barnes? And I'd taken that picture of him taking a nap. And I said, that's what it's like. Yeah. He sleeps a lot. <laughs> and we didn't, we didn't talk much and we didn't listen to the radio. But what I will tell you is that that man got up every day and worked at his craft and roped the dummy. And he constantly and nonstop thought about how to win, how to be competitive and then when the floodgates opened and the conversation started, it wasn't about the normal things that cowboys talk about. We talked about life. We talked about our faith. We talked about who we wanted to be as men. And I can remember, I tell everybody, this is the turning point in my, in my life as a husband and a father that driving from Jet Johnson's house to Reno, Nevada in in June of 2012, it, it felt like I was in an eight hour long sermon of Jake Barnes just pouring faith into me. And by the time we got to Reno, I was like, I want to be a better man. I want to be a better husband, a better father. And I want to, I want to be like this man because he, he has shown me in, in that amount of time that this that you can do all of this, that you can have everything you want in life and you can still be a good Christian. You can be that man. And so that that was the real beginning of my walk of faith. And then we got to Reno and we were at a guy's house practicing and here's Trevor Brazil sitting on a horse and Patrick Smith sitting on a horse and Jet Johnson, you know, 2011 world champion sitting on a horse and I'm still the sneaking pictures. Like I get my phone out of my pocket and I hold it down low. These guys are all sitting around talking because they're buddies. And I'm like, I snap a picture and put on Facebook and I'm like, tell me how many, how many world titles are in this picture? You know, that was my first, that was the first time I had ever come face to face with Trevor Brazil, and Patrick Smith. And I can remember riding around. I was riding one of Jake's horses and Patrick rode up and was visiting. And I'm like, man, these guys are first, they're talking to me and I'm a nobody. I'm just a guy out here hanging out, you know, and our, our partner team that year was Colin Von on and, and 
Nick Sartain, which 2009 world champions. I mean, like I'm in the truck and it's Jake Barnes and Jet Johnson and Colin and Nick, and they're all world champion team ropers and they've made a living doing what I love. And it's just nonstop, you know, with Jet Johnson and, and Nick and Colin, I, I hate, I hate to leave Jake out of this because, but them three guys are like the three stooges and it's always somebody <laughs> playing a prank and it's fun. And, and, Jake is ultra competitive. Like we played checkers. We did rope tricks. We roped the dummy, everything like that. It, it was nonstop every day. And I was like, man, this is the best life ever. I was going to say, it's crazy when you think back on all that you've described in this experience, right? From, from that April, 2012 interaction, right? You talk about doing a thankless job for free at face value. You are going to get nothing out of it financially. And to think now back on that experience and all that you have learned and all that you have gained, not only in life, as a father, as a husband, as a team roper, it's not, and this is what I try to convey to people, yes, we need money, right? Things cost money in this world, but the value is not necessarily monetary. I mean, those experiences, those experiences have placed more value in your life than any paycheck you would have got working as a plumber. Without a doubt. Right? I mean, it's crazy the opportunities that come up. And and in listening to your story, I think, man, it's a huge testament of faith. Like you're stepping out on the line with two babies at home, making no money. For what? For the unknown. You have no idea what you're stepping off into. And now looking back, I mean, I, I, I mean, I only know you the conversation that we've had, right? The couple conversations that we've had, I would venture to say that that was probably mo- one of the richest moments of your life. Oh, without a doubt. And I tell people, I mean, my story went on for three more years after. I mean, Jake and Jet, they roped until August of that year, and I mean, I, I did every day. I wanted to be the best. I, I in my mind, I wanted to be the best help that they had ever had. The, the you know I wanted them to tell their friends like hey we got a guy and trucks break down they left me broke down in the middle of North Dakota one day and just left they said figure it out and we'll see you at the next one hey I fixed a truck on a Sunday afternoon with a welder a quarter inch nut and a bolt and got us rolling again and like them guys to this day they're still shocked about that <laughs> and I mean they left me with a I, I've never felt so far from home in my life yeah, I don't. Ha- I don't have any money. They left me with a blank signed check, a broke down truck and trailer, and four horses, and said, "We're going to Livingston, Montana. We'll see you in Mandan, North Dakota tomorrow." And yes, sir. By the grace of God, a guy come out of church said, "Hey, what's going on?" I said, "Man, if I had a welder, I think I could get this truck fixed." He said, "I got a welding shop right uptown. Let's do it." So I went to his shop, welded a nut into a part that I needed to put back together. Took it down, put it on the truck, and look, within an hour and a half, I called them guys. I said, hey, I'm rolling. I'm headed to Mandan. They're like, there ain't no way. Yeah, I said, I right. promise you, <laughs> I am headed to Mandan. And, I mean, that that instance right there is the story that those guys told all their rodeo buddies. Like, hey, we got a guy driving for us that we left him with a truck broke down, and he's rolling already, that carried on to the next year. And so I went home. They they roped until August. And when Jake dropped me off at the airport, he gave me a check for $500 and said, uh, I want you to know, he said, you're, 
you're the best help that I've ever had out here in all the years I've been rodeoing. He said, Man. I mean, I got teared up yeah. because at this point now, Jake and I are friends. I'm not as starstruck as I was, but I, I have such a respect for the man that for him to say that now that I know him, that that was a huge thing for me. Like I went home with a different purpose in life. Like I went back to my job and I said, look, if you want me to work here, you're going to pay me more and I'm going to have more freedom. And my job was like, good enough. What do you need? I said, I'm, you know, and, I, and so that was in September 1st, I guess I went home back to my family, back to plumbing and, and just, but a fire burning inside of me, like, what can I do? To, you know, I have an opportunity here. And then April or in March of the next year, I told my wife, I said, I want to go to the George Strait Rockets in San Antonio and see all the guys. Cause I had, you know, I'd been home. I hadn't been anywhere. And so we drove to San Antonio, went to the George Strait Open. And uh, when we got back home from, I mean, I saw everybody down there. Everybody was there. And they were like, hey, Sly, what's up? Everybody called me Sly. Man, just been working, been plumbing, went and did a little pheasant hunting. And about a week after I got home from, or on the way home from the BFI, or from the George Strait Open in San Antonio, Jet Johnson called me and said, hey, I give your phone number to a guy and told him, he told me he was going to get a driver for this year and that told him that if he didn't hire you, he was an idiot and he didn't deserve to have a driver. And I'm like, man, thanks, Jeff. That's awesome. I'd love to do it again. I had so much fun. And so I get a text message on my phone about three days later and said, hey, uh, this is Caleb Driggers. Uh, Jet Johnson told me I should call you and see if you wanted to drive for me. Well, Caleb Driggers was the runner up to the world title in 2012. I mean, he was the up and coming you know, header that was going to take the PRCA by storm. I mean, Caleb Driggers was a name. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Now it's, I mean, sure enough, them older guys that, you know, are they're kind of, you know, I hate to say this, but they're already world champions and they're kind of been through their career and they're still rodeo and they're still a threat. But, they're, I mean, this is a young guy. This is a new guy that's coming on the scene and he wants me to work for him. And that was going to be a paid position. You know, he offered, he offered me, I think he offered me $450 a week plus my expenses. Wow. To leave in April and, and rodeo with him all summer, not just, you know, I mean, all summer. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was like, son of a gun, I'm in, I'm, I'm doing this again, 450 bucks a week plus my expenses. I could send that money home. I got nothing. You know, and so here we go again, line them up number two. So I fly, I fly to Dallas in April of 2013 and Paul Eves picked me up at the airport. Not necessarily a rookie, but now he's a world champion. And Paul picks me up at the airport and he's like, I'm going to drop you off and we're going to do this. And, and like we get in the truck and we just roll out. Well, Caleb's roping with Travis Graves. Travis Graves has been to the NFR three times at that point. You know, and, and he's good. I mean, like now I'm around young guys that are top five guys, you know, Caleb's last year's, you know, reserve world champion, Travis Graves was finishing the top five in the world. I mean, like now I'm around young guys and we're doing it, you know, and we get, we go to California in April. And the first thing that shocks me is we get to Oakdale, California, and I'm riding around the track the second day I'm there. And I'm talking to a guy and he's, 
he said, oh, you're the guy they've been talking about. I'm like, what do you mean you're Uh-oh. the guy? He said, <laughs> they said, well, they said Caleb Drigger hired the best driver in the PRCA and that you're that guy. I'm like, we're, huh? we're one week into this. What do you mean the best driver in the PRCA? <laughs> That's what the guy said to me. And like, I was, now I've got to live up to that. Yeah. Now, now I have to be the, you know, and so there again, our buddy team is, is Colin Von on, which I was with the year before. So I've got a little familiarity and then he's roping with Luke Brown. So it's Caleb and Travis and Colin and Luke. And so now I'm around a, a different set, a different demographic of guys because they're younger and they're kind of part of being in the crowd and they're, you know, they're buddies. It's a different demographic there. And a guy comes up to me at Oakley that year. I mean, we're two weeks into this deal and, and said, what's it take to get you to drive for me? I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, say a number. I said, you're kidding, right? He said, no, what, what number does it take? This is a rich guy that, that ropes good and just wanted, I said, man, I can't do that. I said, I told Caleb I'd work for him all year. I, was, yeah. I couldn't do that, you know? Yeah. But I mean, that's all of a sudden the realities of it is, is I can make money doing this. I can get paid to do this if I do a good job, if I do a good job. And so the pressure's there. And I mean, like, I'm telling you, like, lots of money. And and that that 2013 year, I stayed with Caleb until uh, – well, I, I stayed with him until the end of the season there in August, September. And then about the same deal, I was going to be headed home. They'd made the finals, and, and I, things weren't great. I mean, I needed to get home. But in the course of that season – people start to pay attention. Now I'm out, I'm out there. This is my second year. I'm out there and people pay attention. And I can remember being in the Northwest and I'm, I, it's like we talked about earlier. I'm going to drop a name here and people are going to be like, Oh my gosh. But I can remember being in the Northwest and a guy pulls up to me in a Jeep and says, Hey Sly, let's go to town and get some ice cream. I'm like, heck yeah. And I had done some stuff for him. And so we go to town and we get some ice cream and we're visiting. It's just a conversation. It's just a familiar conversation. You know, now I'm 33 years old and he's closer to my age and we got kids and we're talking and we get back and I'm like, Hey, Jack, I'm like, I just went to town and had ice cream with Trevor Brazil. (laughs) He's like, really? I said, yeah. He said, so you're being courted by Trevor Brazil. That was the word that Jet used. Oh yeah. I said, what are you talking about? He said, well, Trevor is a smart man and he's been paying attention and your name has come up in conversation about this guy works hard. He tries hard. He doesn't mess around. And he said, so. Hey, thanks for riding along with another episode of Let Freedom Reign podcast and being part of our freedom family. If you want to provide greater support of this show, visit patreon.com forward slash Let Freedom Reign podcast. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash let freedom rain podcast and rain is spelled r-e-i-n there you can provide a donation and it costs less than the fancy cup of coffee you're probably holding to help us produce free weekly content for collaborations to book us as a guest for your next event or to make guest recommendations email us at info.lfrpodcast at gmail.com for the most up-to-date information on let freedom rain visit our facebook and instagram page at let freedom rain podcast additionally you can find us on twitter at let freedom rain underscore We cannot thank you enough for being our most loyal listeners, and we'll see you on the next one.